0: I speak to you in the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. I'm going to tell you what my point is at the beginning, so if I get lost, you know where I'm trying to get to. I'm trying to get to uh, where where to start. Why did I pick the Babel reading? it's not normally the reading. It's an optional reading for Pentecost. It's not normally the one that gets picked. Normally we put the Acts reading as the first reading in place of the Old Testament, and then we have a lovely New Testament reading, and then we have uh, John. Um, and and I started months ago when I set up the schedule by saying, you know, that Tower of Babel reading has some interesting resonances in the age of social media. And that was, that was the thought that started the whole thing, and I've been thinking about it ever since. Um, and so we come to today, and, and certainly there's a, a theme running through today's readings that the Holy Spirit is the solution to the problem of the dividedness of humanity. That's one of the, the great themes of Pentecost, where, where that, that, um, that miracle in the second chapter of Acts, is that the second chapter? I think it is. Uh, that miracle in Acts um, is the, is the, is the, the redemption of the scattering of humans into all the languages at the Tower of Babel, so you have the pride of humanity, and another example of humanity's pride going before a fall, and the languages being separated, and humans being cut off from each other and divided, and implicitly quarrelsome. Um, and then in in Acts, you have the Holy Spirit bringing humanity back together, and so the gospel, the good news, the the the, the transformative. Um, message of Christ is being told to all the nations in their own language. And so there's this parallelism between those two biblical stories. And, and, um, and that's so my first thought was, when I was younger, and I first became aware that indigenous languages were going extinct, lots of indigenous languages are not spoken anymore, and there, there are very, much fewer languages in use today than there were a generation or two ago. And as a, as a young man, I thought, well, good, you know, the more people speak English, the, the fewer wars we'll have because we'll all be able to communicate each other and, with each other and everything will be perfect. Um, and as a middle-aged man with some more life experience, I go, well, maybe God knew something that I didn't. Uh, that the idea of us all being able to talk to each other all the time might not be such an unbridled good thing. And so, when we get to this theme of the Holy Spirit bringing humanity together, where we've been divided um, and enslaved by sin, and we are brought together by the Holy Spirit, I think of well, what, how does that work? But like, what what kind of activity of the Holy Spirit is the kind of activity that brings us together? Because clearly, it's not literally getting us to understand each other's speech in a linguistic sense. It's not the that's not the meaning of it, and it's even not that sense. Um, that if you just receive the Holy Spirit, then all of your conflicts go away. Um, I'm a product of the charismatic movement in the Anglican Church. I mean, I I was swept up in that movement in the late 70s and early 80s of Curcio and the junior version, Tech, which I was involved in. Some of you uh, were participants in that as well. And it was euphoric. It was this amazing um, enlivening of the Church for many of us where we encountered God in a visceral way. We had experiences of the Holy Spirit which transformed us and, and, and enthused us. Um, and, and it, it was transformative. And in many churches, it enlivened those churches for a generation. It certainly, um, uh, began the spiritual journey for me that continues to this day through my ordained ministry. Um, a dear friend of mine, United Church minister, same thing. He was part of that same movement and is still in ministry today. And so God's work and the Holy Spirit is still active and transforming me and him and all those others who were so radically, um, affected by that movement. Um, And that movement was marked with the kind of charismatic um, markers uh, of the time. We had people that spoke in tongues, and there was faith healing, and there was uh, a lot of enthusiasm. There was a lot of euphoria in that movement. And the euphoria was addictive, and it was transformative. But it didn't bring unity to the churches in which it took place, necessarily, because we started to joke in my diocese of uh, Rupert's Land in Winnipeg of the rainbow curtain. Um, which could not be crossed, where either you 're on one side of the rainbow curtain or you 're the other side of the rainbow, are you a renewed Anglican or are you a dead in the heart staid old fashioned anglican that 's just a traditionalist and and so there there was this um, this this separating and they became um, g- quite conflicted in many parishes as as the factions vied for control over their local congregations. We're going to be a renewal congregation. We're uh, Mananitas, woo! And the other people were like, "There's no way you're doing that to my Anglican church. We, you know, none of this. No hugging. No, nope, no. Nope. Don't you dare hug me! Um, I'm going to sit at the back and I'm going to sing my hymns that I know, and that's how it's going to be." And um, And I I, I mean, that was... I I, I give that the flavor of how I saw it at the time. I don't see it that way now. Um, Because... So the coming of the Holy Spirit did not unite the Anglican Church of my youth. It did not. And so that leads me to this further reflection on, well, how is the Holy Spirit the solution to the dividedness of humanity? Clearly, a charismatic renewal movement is not the answer in itself. So here's... Here's where I come to. This is where I'm trying to get to. Remember that image of the circle through time. I've got to get my clock correctly. Clockwise is this way. All right, so 24-hour uh, clock, high noon at the top, midnight at the bottom. Um, you can map it onto to the, the year, so this is midsummer and midwinter, and we move through time in this cyclical fashion, and the liturgical calendar is plotted onto this cycle so that Pentecost is at the high noon point. And so you have Pentecost as the complete union between the divine and the human. And so if you can imagine a a straight line across the top, a very simple graphic of a straight line across the top and a circle underneath it. And the circle touches that straight line right at the 12 o'clock point. Um, And at that point, there's the intersection of eternity with time. And so, one of the great metaphors of our spiritual journey is that we are on a journey through time, and we come from eternity, and we return to eternity. And so, you can understand this on a number of different levels. This could be the chronological journey of our life. Um, but it's much more interesting as a spiritual journey that, that when we first come to a spiritual awakening or enlightenment, we are close to God. We are gifted. I, you know, my experiences of the Holy Spirit were euphoric and transcendent. I was at that intersection point. But as I carried on in my faith journey, I got farther and farther away from that euphoria. The magic wore off in my experience. And so this was a crisis. If I'm not feeling it anymore, does that mean I've lost it? Am I no longer a bearer of the Holy Spirit? Or even more disconcertingly, maybe I fooled myself and it was all a mirage. And I was just, you know, uh, this is normal life without this sense of euphoria or connectedness to the divine power of God. And so you have doubt and you have faith crisis and everybody that was in that charismatic movement had it because that was the typical trajectory. There was this euphoric early phase and then it died away. And then the question becomes, for those of us that really continue to pursue it, was what does maturing in the Holy Spirit look like? And so, I'm going to draw two analogies for you. This should not be a surprise, um, and it it was for us, but um, it should not have been, because in other aspects of life, there is a euphoric start and then a a, a descent into something less than euphoria. Um, My romantic relationship with my dear wife, who's not here to be embarrassed because I'm talking about it, um, started with a euphoric phase. Of course fell in love when she said yes to me. I was walking 2 feet above the ground. She said yes. She said yes. All I want in my life is just to be near her. Everything is better when she's around. I just I can't imagine how I could live without her. Oh my gosh. <laughs> now, those of you who have been married for a while <laughs> will know that at some point the euphoria faded. And, and you know here we are 35 years in, and, and I, when I see her, I don't have the euphoria anymore. However, after 35 years of working at the love in our relationship, I can say that I love her better, and she loves me better today than we ever did in those early phases. We feel less in love in that euphoric sense, but we are more in love in a real, worked-out, living sense. And so we have grown into that love. The love has had a chance to mature. And it's a gift, but it's also a vocation. We work at it. And you have to work at it for it it to develop and grow. And so in our relationship, there's that euphoric early period, the euphoria dies, and then you're in the journey of maturation so that at the end of the day, you love each other more than you ever could have thought possible. But it's different. It's a mature connection. It's not the naive connection that you had when you started. Similarly, uh, creating music. Um, As a musical creator... I am very clear that the the inspiration for a new tune or song comes from the Holy Spirit. It is an act of creativity. It is is something where I, as a human being, participate in divinity. And that, that idea for a new song, who knows where it comes from? The muse, you might hear from poets. Sometimes the muse is there, and sometimes it isn't. That concept of the muse is the work of the Holy Spirit. It is gift. It is divinity working within humanity. It's an intersection of humanity and divinity. And... But all when I start a song, all I have is one cool idea, which my poor family hears me play over and over and over again because it's so cool, I'm just going to play it a million times. But it's still not a song yet. In order for it to become a song or a work or a composition, you have to work with that idea. You have to develop the idea. You have to have a way to get into Is that idea the intro? Is that idea the climax of the piece? Is that idea... The, the sort of heartbeat of the piece around which we build an intro is there going to be a variation are we going to invert the idea are we going to have a contrasting idea what's the relationship between those new ideas and so you work at a song and it is painful and hard and um, uh, and, and, and sometimes you walk away from it and you haven't done anything and you've come up with the six ideas that you've thrown away um, you have that that great quote I identify with the writer I forget which one who said I was talking to a friend and the friend said so what did you do today I put in a comma <clears throat> and then he's walking with the same friend the next day and he said well what did you do today I took it out And writing a song is like that, you know, I'll, I'll come at it and I'll leave it for a week. I'll come at it again. I go, that's really good. That's not working. I haven't got a good idea. So you work at it. And over time, if you're successful at allowing the song to mature, it becomes a finished work, which actually has a kind of impact on the listener where they go, wow, that's great. I love that piece of music. And so the, that, that, Uh, I don't want to say euphoria, but the impact of what struck me in the first place as the creative muse hit is something that then becomes translated to others once the work is complete. And thus it is with my marriage as well. The love that we had for each other at the beginning, when it is allowed to mature, has an impact beyond just us as a couple. It affects our kids, it affects those, our friends, those with whom we are in community. Um, it has, in the marriage ceremony, you have that kind of language where the love for each other becomes an inspiration to those around them. And that the maturity of that love is what allows that to happen. So, the babble the division of humanity the internet the, the 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 social media problem that we have today is not because of communication per se it's because our our, our connection with the holy spirit as a as humanity is immature um, I, I was there in the early days of the internet was Usenet and university people were yakking to each other across, you know, at least North America at that time. And we were full of euphoria about how this was going to change humanity. This was, you know, we're we're unlocking the gatekeepers. We are going to transform the whole thing. And there is that potential to this day. But, of course, the problem, like with Babylon, is pride gets involved, money gets involved, and all of a sudden we have what we have today, so the Holy Spirit is the solution to that problem, but that means that we as humanity have to pledge ourselves to the growth of the Holy Spirit, not just the initial reception. Um, that that yes, it's, uh, there's a great uh, enthusiasm about being able to communicate with people. Oh, this person sees things the way I do. That's awesome. Um, but... A mature approach to human communication, human society, requires work and growth and engagement with the Holy Spirit, with the divine aspect of humanity. And that uh, that divine aspect is not—and if you look at Paul's writings about the Holy Spirit, you get a clue as to where that's going, because Paul is not particularly interested in speaking in tongues. Yes, that's great, fabulous, glad you have that gift, wonderful. But the fruits of the Spirit are what? Peace, patience, self-control. Euphoria and self-control rarely go together. So, so Paul is pulling us out of that initial state. I'm, I hope we all have that coming-to-faith euphoria. That romantic phase of faith is great. It is energizing. It is transformative. It's wonderful. It's like a romantic phase in a relationship. I hope every couple has that. But that's not the end. In the end, those feelings go away, and then there is the work and the maturation of what was begun. And for us as a community, as a wider community, and our participation in it as Christians, we understand this maturation process. We understand there is a cycle, uh, a a process to the spiritual life, so that receiving the Holy Spirit, whether uh, when you gave your heart to Jesus or when you were baptized liturgically, whatever your theology is about receiving the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit isn't done with you once you've received. It. There's a process of transformation that, that you have to go through before you can fully realize, you become fully mature in the Holy Spirit. And it's that commitment to the maturation of the divine nature of humanity, which is our understanding of our purpose in life, our spiritual journey, and it's something that we have to share with our fellow human beings in every language. The, the, that this is a universal human message. That this This call to spiritual maturity, which is our gift and our struggle, is a call for all humanity, and it holds the key to the solution to all of the ills that plague us. All of our divisiveness, all the pride, greed, all the, the, the warmongering, all the things that corrupt and destroy the creatures of God, the solution is the work of the Holy Spirit within us transforming us into what we were meant to be. That's what we celebrate on Pentecost. It's an end and it's a beginning. For us, we celebrate the beginning of the Church, the beginning of the gift of the Holy Spirit that created us as a community. It's also the fulfillment of who we are as a community when we fully accept and, and, um, uh, and, and grow into the reality of the Holy Spirit that undergirds all of who we are and what we do. Thanks be to God. Amen.